Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. So it's 1 John chapter 2. We'll be doing this, this coming Sunday, this next Sunday we'll be in 1 John, and then we'll be taking a break as we head into our Christmas service. And here's what John writes to them. He says in verse 28 of chapter 2, read with me. John says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is, and Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies themselves even as he is pure. The return of Jesus. I don't know if you grew up like I did with uh, Atari, like 400 I think is what we had. Frogger was like the you know, most insane graphics. It's so realistic. But we grew up. Like in the streets, you know what I mean? Like it was okay to play out to about 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. And we used to play hide and go seek, man, in our block. Uh, Birch Avenue was the place to be on a Friday or Saturday night. And uh, you would hear those words. I don't know if you play, but ready or not, what was the words? Here I come. And if you didn't have a hiding spot, man, what a bummer for you. Because you were going to get caught, and then you knew all your friends had good height. Everyone was taller than me, so they could hop on roofs. I'm like, okay, we'd hide on people's roofs. We'd be in their backyards. It was kind of a little not safe in our current day. So do, do not allow your kids, hey, go climb, go, as uh, my one friend's grandfather used to say, hey, kids, go play on the freeway. Don't do that. But one day Jesus will return. He's coming back. Uh, as somebody had a bumper sticker said, Jesus is coming back, and boy, is he ticked off. That's not exactly the case, but he is going to return. And you think about your life. You think about if you've been in a project management class before, you think, you know, like, hey, this project, you say, what's the final outcome? What do you want this to look like? What is this supposed to be in the end? So we do some reverse engineering. We say, God, when you return, here's the state or condition I want my life to be in. Some of the things that John refers to here in this letter. And then I go backwards and I begin to implement those things in my life because John's very clear. Jesus is going to return. He is coming back. And when that happens, he said, we don't want to shrink back in shame. Wise people would do the same, that reverse engineering, for their lives. Because all of us will stand before God one day. What's the final outcome? What's the goal, if you would, of your life growing more and more towards Christ's likeness? How do you want your life to be found when Christ returns? Because John's clear. He tells us last week we looked in the message that, beloved, it is the last hour. We're in that final time period of, of, of you know, as, as God has orchestrated this, the timeline in this world that we're in the last hour, according to John. And if we were in the last hour 2,000 years ago, we're certainly in the last seconds uh, even now. Paul writes to the church in Rome in chapter 13. He closes out that incredible letter and he says, Guys, it's time to wake up. It's time to awaken to things that have eternal value in our lives. Why would Paul say that? Well, because a lot of us have been asleep too long. John says it's coming. He wanted those who he dearly loved, those who he'd poured into, to be ready for that time, or in his words, to be confident when he returns. I used to be afraid of that day, like, you know, uh, oh man, the Lord's going to return. Or maybe some of you guys get engaged and stuff. Back in, you know, 25 years ago, people were getting engaged, and there was a lot of talk about Jesus returning. It's like, oh Lord, please just don't come back before, you know, my honeymoon. And, uh, and that's the way all my guys, buddies thought. And now, like, all their wives are, Lord, when are you going to return? I thought you were going to return. It's been a long time. We thought it was uh, 20 years ago. Jesus is returning. And it's not something that we should, you know, we think about that like, oh, we want, what, we, what will our family feel like and what will our friends be like? Let me tell you right now, God's kingdom is so much greater than the little glimpses of heaven you and I get here on earth. 
Those moments of close friendship, those, those miraculous kind of moments, you know what I mean? With those, those, you know, moments with your children when they're born and when they're growing. You know, we have glimpses of heaven on earth. And if you could take those little experiences and multiply them by a billion fold, that's what heaven is like and even more than that. It's a place where righteousness dwells. It's a place where uh, God is and we will see him as he is. It's a place where there's no pain, there's no suffering, there's no sin. And so John says, guys, I want you to be confident in that moment. I want you to be ready when he appears. Paul writes to the church in in, uh, a Philippi, he says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies, can I get an amen, and change them into glorious bodies like his own. No back pain, no shoulder surgery, no knee problems. Using the same power with which he brings everything under his control. So Christians are to be waiting and looking. This is to be, by the way, the state of the church in every generation. You know, Peter talked about the Lord returning. And many people were saying in Peter's day, saying, oh, you guys keep talking about Jesus returning. And, you know, it's been going on for so long and so long. You know that there's no prophecies that need to take place for Jesus to rapture his church the reason, why, the reason why we don't have a date or a time is because Christians are supposed to be living with this expectation and this hope of his return. It's called the imminent return of Christ, that it could happen in any moment. And what John is saying is that the more you and I internalize that as a doctrinal reality, it begins to change the way you and I function and live. And he begins to share some of these things that will actually help us and help these people be confident and not ashamed at his return. It lets us know that some will be ashamed. Throughout his letter, he's been telling us things like stop loving the world. And so those Christians that are just living worldly lives, living temporary lives, not investing in kingdom kinds of things, living sinful lives and unfruitful lives, well, they will be ashamed at his return. It's not what you're doing, by the way. It's not like, oh my gosh, where were you when Jesus returned? Well, I was watching the movie Creed with one of my sons. Wow, what a bummer. That's not it. It's prob- Jesus probably would go see the movie with us. It's a great movie. It's not like, well, uh, what were you doing? I was handing out blankets to the poor. It was really cold. Oh, wow, good for you. It's not the, the thing that you were doing when Jesus returned. What were you doing? Oh, I was flossing. Oh, what a bummer. That has no eternal value, right? It might, because you'll spend less at the dentist, you can give more to missions. There you go. Uh, it's the condition of your life. It's where are you at? Where am I at this morning? John's saying, where are you at? Get your life in a state so that you have confidence when you stand before God. And he shares some of that stuff with us. He says, guys... All of us are going to stand before God. Paul says we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We're not going to lose our salvation. True believers are always God's children. But rewards are based on faithfulness. The way you and I walk out the the good works that Jesus has planned beforehand that he tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. Paul says we make it our aim to be well pleasing to him. It's important to be thinking about the way that we're conducting our life. It's a dangerous mentality to say, how far can I stray from the shepherd of my soul and still be a part of his flock? That's a bad way to live your life. What can I get away with this side of heaven and still kind of still be a part of God's kingdom? We should be moving farther and farther away from this world. As some that John was trying to combat some of the teachings that were around in that day and certainly exist in our day, is that they were claiming things like, oh, I have a relationship with God. And so John would say things like, if, if you claim to walk with God, then your life should reflect it. If you claim to walk in the light, and yet you're practicing darkness, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. And there's all these tests throughout his letters. So he says, guys, this is what you need to have in your life to have confidence at his appearing. That's John's goal for us. That was John's goal for this church that he was writing to. So here's what he says. He says, guys... Number one, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him. Number one, stay close in close relationship to Jesus Christ. And that's what gives you confidence as you approach that day where you'll stand before him. 
Fellowship is what John has been talking about throughout his letter. He began the letter like this. Here's why I'm writing you. So that you might have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. 1 John chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. That's why Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago. We're going to celebrate his birth where the infinite God became an infant baby boy and he was this this dual nature person. He was fully God. He was fully man. And he lived a life none of us could live. And ultimately, God died on a cross for your sins and for my sins so that you and I could be brought back in relationship with God. Think about that. So that you could walk with God. You could talk with him. You could know him. He could guide your life. Not only do you get heaven, but you get God's presence in your life on a continual daily basis. That's what fellowship is. And he says, when you're abiding in him, you're ready at all times because you're walking with the Lord. and He's working in your life. That idea to remain in him or have a close personal relationship with him. And the result in your life is he begins to change you and he begins to change me. As you get closer to Christ, you'll discover a couple things. Number one, you'll discover how sinful you really are. The longer you walk with God, if anyone's walked with God for 20 years and they act like that they have all their crud together, they they probably aren't walking closely with God. Because what you discover is that, wow, what a wretch I am. What a mess I really am. That God would come into my life and begin to start pulling these things out of my life, right? You get rid of the bad stuff when you're a new Christian, you know what I mean? You You get rid of the stuff that your mom might get you mad at, right? But then you start discovering like, wow, there's some evil judgment that rises up in my heart when I see that one person or those 10 people. There's those areas of our life, hatred that still exists, unforgiveness, bitterness. Those are the things that have deep roots in our life, but he starts to pull them out. That's the other thing you discover is you discover that, man, you're moving towards Christ-likeness. That's what happens when you and I abide in a close relationship with him. Daily contact with God through prayer and time in his word. We won't be ashamed at his appearing. People, according to John, will have two reactions. One will have confidence. There will be a group that will have shame. But as you and I continue in him, as we continue to remain in him, abide in him, work on our personal relationship with him, well, we'll have confidence. Me walking with God. And by the way, that's your responsibility, and that's my responsibility. Last week we talked about how John says, how do you and I combat the false teachings that go around and, and understand who's who and what team they're playing for. He said, let what you've heard from the beginning remain in you or abide in you. He's saying, let God's word, his truth, abide in your life. You and I have to take steps for that to take place. You've got to set aside time to, to grow in your knowledge of God's word, studying it and reading it, hearing it on a continual basis. You've got to set aside time to abide in a relationship with him. It means you, you change the way you live your life in the same way, you know, some of you guys, uh, anyone want to get married in 2019? No, and, like, no, no takers. Okay. Uh, maybe everybody's married here. I don't know. But, or maybe you've, you've, you've been around the track and you're like, no, thank you. Uh, but there's some people that want to get married one day. You know, I talk to people that want to get married. Let's just pretend those people exist. And, uh, and I say, listen, your life is going to change because you're going to need to now, like, share your life and spend time with this person that you're making this vow before God uh, be, you know, in front of. You're going to have to carve out time. Well, we're going to have children one day. Well, watch out. All your money's going to be gone. You have to spend time with your kids. If you're going to be good at being a parent, right, you got to pour into it. you got to pour into relationships. It's the same with your walk with God. It's not, you're not going to magically become spiritually strong by just doing nothing. You have to make effort to grow spiritually, and that's what it means to spend time with him in his word, daily devos, reading the Bible, talking with God in prayer, and listening to him. Can I encourage you? Nothing would be more important in 2019 than you working on one thing, your relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing else can change in your life. The bad stuff that you're praying about right now, all of it can stay and remain the same. I don't want that for you. I know you don't want that for your life. But if it does, your life will significantly become better simply because Jesus becomes the master passion in your life. And people say, hey, what's going on? Did you like win a million bucks? No, I didn't. But my relationship with God is beginning to blossom in my life. And hey, that will be the greatest source, source of strength in your life, the greatest source of joy in your life, the greatest source of, of strength that comes in you because you're walking with God. So John says, abide in him. 
so you can have confidence on that day. Here's the second thing he talks about. He talks about honoring him with the way we live. He says, listen, nobody who's born of God, or he says it like this. Oh, there we go. Wow, it's amazing putting glasses on does. He says, if you know that he is righteous, God is righteous, our salvation is based on his righteousness, he says, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of God. He talks about now this new idea, this new understanding, that you and I have been reborn into the family of God. And he says that if anyone is born of God, their lives will begin to reflect it. He's giving them some tools to see those who are legit as teachers would go kind of from community to community. You know, they would show up with the same name tag. Like, oh yeah, I'm with Paul and I'm with John and I'm with those guys. Yeah, we're preaching the same Jesus. And John gave them insight saying, if anyone is practicing righteousness, like their life is reflecting the nature of God, well then you know that they have been born of him. The same is true for us. We might say that that actually would be part of what gives you and I confidence before God is that our lives are being lived in such a way that we seek to honor him, practicing righteousness. Those are tests that he's given throughout the letter. He'll give more as he gets into chapter four and five. But how do we know that we're moving in the right direction? Well, our lives begin to look more and more like his. He told us that in chapter one. We'll begin to start keeping his commandments because we are in a relationship with God. We will practically love our brothers and sisters instead of what we used to do, hate or treat others with indifference. That's how you know you're moving towards this Christ-likeness. That's how you know that you are born of him is that there's new desires that emerge in your life now that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And by the way, this, this, it's out of response to our desire to serve Jesus and honor him that we practice righteousness in our life. There's that close connection if you are a, a child of the Father, your life will start to look like the Father, being born of him. It's how we can see if someone actually belongs to God. Here's what John writes in chapter 1 of the Gospel of John. But to all who believed and accepted him, so we say, how do we actually become born of him? He says, all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children resemble parents. This just is what it is. Maybe you grew up and your mom would, as you're driving to school, in the front seat without a seatbelt, reach over, put some spit on her finger, and like get some jelly off your, your, your you know, cheek. Did anyone's parents ever do that? How disgusting is that? You know what I mean? It's like, uh, what's, oh yeah, my mom spit on me. Not technically, but it's what it felt like. And then you yourself see yourself doing it. It's like, oh my gosh, there's my mom's hand going over there, rubbing on my son's cheek. What's going on over here? You just become like your parents. You reflect like your parents. If you're born of God, you know what happens? You'll never be perfect. You'll never be perfect. But your life begins to move in the direction of righteousness. Practical righteousness. Things like love. Things like removing hate and, and uh, animosity towards other people. Things like forgiving unforgivable actions. That's God kind of stuff. And when his spirit dwells in you, guess what? You begin to do God kinds of things. That's what it means to have this righteousness in our life. It's not what makes us saved. It's not the cause of being born of him. But it is the result of being born of him. The proof of being a Christian is not just correct beliefs that Jesus is the son of God. Something we talked about last Sunday. But it is also righteousness being worked out in your life. How we're living. It reveals it for his kids at his appearing. Keeping his commands. As John said, walking in the light. Having love in our heart instead of hate. Peter has the same idea. He says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14, he says, So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. And remember that the heavenly father to whom we pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do, so that you must live in reverent fear of him during your time as a foreigner in the land. Living right, it brings confidence at his appearing. We can live after the flesh, we can live after our old desires or impulses, loving the world, 
which John told us to stop in chapter 2, verse 15, or we could seek to live for Christ. We could seek to begin to obey him in his word, and righteousness begins to emerge in our life, practical righteousness in our life. The test of abiding in him, we found it in chapter 1, verse 6. You claim to know God, and you're walking in darkness, you're lying, you're not practicing the truth. We found it in chapter 2, verse 4, and then also chapter 2, verse 9. And then when John mentions this privilege of being born again, you know, so we have chapter divisions, you know, in our Bible. You know, all the, like the bold words in your Bible that, you know, give you like a, a section or a chapter or a verse. Those were all added so you and I would know where to go in our Bibles, you know what I mean? But they're not always accurate. There's, most scholars believe that like chapter 2, verse 29, and chapter 3 of verse 1 really are kind of one continuous thought. And John talks about born, being born of him, and he moves into this beautiful, you know, words where he says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. What love? You know, sometimes when we start digging into God's word, and we begin to study it, and we look at words, and we look at meaning and impact, we wrestle with things like our old ways and our flesh and living for Jesus Christ. Sometimes we can almost like sort of lose the forest for the trees if you would. And you take a step back and you go, all that God has done for you, what love? Think about that. As we celebrate Christmas, I hope you got your lights up. I hope you got your presents picked out. I hope if you went shopping on Black Friday, you got a flat tire. Why would we do that? I don't hope that. That's terrible. I'm not going to wish any evil on any of you guys. But we just breeze through these seasons. and We breeze through the scriptures. And sometimes we just sort of miss out and go. You know, 2,000 years ago, heaven invaded planet Earth. All a part of God's plan. Because human beings had gotten themselves in such a predicament that only God becoming a man and ultimately dying on a cross on our behalf could ever free us or be the remedy. And John says, what love? He, he uses a word that actually is like, from what country is this kind of love? Because it's foreign. When Jesus spoke to the wind and the waves and says, peace be still, be still. I should say, peace be still. And it was just like a steel lake. No. It got all calm. And they said, what manner of man is this? It's the same word. What country? We've never seen this before. That we would be called the children of God. Have you ever parked on that thought for a while? And think how much God loves you. And the effort that he went through so that you could be born again. And so that you could be a part of his kingdom. And you could be the recipient of heavenly treasures because he loves you that much. He loves me that much. That we would be called the children of God. We are saved by grace and it just blew John away. And I think that this is one of the things that that thought of being confident is appearing. Is that my confidence is the fact that I have a relationship with him. My confidence is not because I'm actually like trying harder or becoming better as a Christian. My confidence is that he loves me and he died for my sins. And so when John says this, I think number three, to have confidence is appearing. John wants us to remember that we're the recipients of God's love. Behold what manner of love, this kind of love. You know, he could have made a way for us to be saved. He could have had pity on our condition as God and said, well, listen, we're going to take care of their sin. You know what I mean? And then they, you know, then they could just sort of get along on earth. And then when they die, we'll find some little spot for them in heaven. But he went so beyond that. He not only had pity on your condition and my condition, but he made a way for you to be a part of his family. That you could be called the son or daughter of God. A love that we don't see in this world. And it's a love that comes from the Father. Oftentimes we, we think of the triune God as sort of God the Father, this angry, you know, sort of old, you know, old neighbor. Get off my lawn, you kids. You're that kind of a God, you know what I mean? People make this confusion like, oh, the God in the Old Testament, he's mean and nasty. But the God in the New Testament, he's all nice. And he's probably a vegan. And he carries a little lamb around his neck. Full meat eater, Jesus was. It's the same God. 
And God the Father loved you so much that he willingly sent his son. And the son loved you so much that he willingly went to the cross. This love, it's eternal, Jeremiah 31, 3 says. It's unconditional, Deuteronomy 7, verse 7 and 8 says. It's undeserved, Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9 says. It's sacrificial, we'll get to it, 1 John 4, verse 9 and 10. It's powerful, Romans 8, 38 and 39. And it's incomprehensible, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 and 19. Incomprehensible. He prayed that you and I would get it. My prayer, he said, is so that you could understand and know the love of God, which its height, its depth, all there is to know about God's love. He wanted you to know it because it will change the way you and I live our lives, that we are children of God. He adopted me. He adopted you. He made you his child. He brought you into his family. You have access now, according to Paul, to call upon God as Abba, Father. To have that kind of access to God, think about that love that he has for you. And it's not because you and I had so much to offer, but simply because he's a God of love and compassion. You and I were rebels, we were sinners, we are swindlers, we're filthy tricksters. That's who we are. And that's who God came to save and redeem and call his sons and daughters. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love for us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. John says it confuses the world. The world's not going to know you because it didn't know him. It literally means to accept you ever try to explain to somebody about the love that God has for you, the love that you have for God? I remember as a new Christian, like day one, calling one of my workout buddies. I was like, dude, if you'd been there with me, right, you, you would have, and I didn't know how to explain it. You would have walked forward with me at this church, and then they would have given you this booklet, and you'd be going to heaven too. That's all I knew, you know what I mean? But I was trying to tell him, like, John, like, dude, you got to, I don't know what you need to do, but you got to get right with God. That's what I was trying to tell him for a half hour on the phone with that long cord that gets tangled up. You have no idea, young people. And, and I remember like growing a little, do you guys remember that cord? You remember you go like to like uh, um, Radio Shack? Remember they have like the extended ones? You can walk to your whole house. I have a mile, it's like, like a mile long cord. Trip your brother when they're walking by. I remember month after month as I began to know and understand who Jesus was, I remember trying to have that same conversation with one of my workout partners. And they just couldn't get it. It's just the world doesn't get it. Those who stiff arm God, they'll mock. They don't understand. And they didn't accept God. And they're not going to embrace you and your faith. He says, so don't be alarmed when that happens. Because it's just the way it is. Chapter 3, verse 1, he tells us what we are. We're the children of God. Verse 2, he tells us what we will be. We're going to change. You're going to get a brand new body when you go to heaven. That is good news for every single one of us. A brand new body. It won't contain sin. It will never get sick. It won't grow old. A new body in heaven. That's what Paul referred to in Philippians 3. He'll take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own. That's the Christian hope, life everlasting. You're not like some fat little baby with a harp on a cloud. That doesn't sound like heaven to me. You know, people describe heaven, I'm like going, uh, like a precious moments little figurine? No, thank you. How long can I live? I don't want to go to heaven if that's what it's like. If you have precious moments little figurines, I'm not mocking, I'm just saying that that's not what heaven is. Little pale babies with harps. It's a kingdom. It's a home. Thank God we don't get to be the creative ones, right? Oh, this is what heaven would be like. Nope. Sorry, Bible house. That's not the way it's going to be. That's where you could buy them. That's a reference. So anyways, back in 88, you could have got them. A new body. And then in verse 3, he says, and this is what you ought to be. See, here's this other idea, and he's going to talk about it throughout the chapter Kind of living a, a, a life that glorifies God, a pure life, where you and I are removing sin out of our life, where we're confessing sin and we're moving past it. We're getting, we're getting stronger. We're able to run from temptation. He says, this is what you ought to be. When he says in verse 3, he says, when, when he appears, we shall be like him because we'll see him as he is. In verse 3, and everyone who thus hopes in him 
purifies himself even as he is pure. To have confidence before his appearing, number four is this, his return ought to inspire us to a holy life. John's writing about the return of Christ. It's more than just giving theological information, but inspiration. If I were to tell you Christ were to die, uh, to die today, he already did. He rose from the dead too. Spoiler alert, Easter. <laughs> if I were to tell you at the end of this week, Jesus Christ is going to return. If you've got plans to see a movie with your children, go see the movie. If you've got plans to decorate your tree, decorate your tree. If you're going to go down Sydney Lane, go down Sydney Lane. What condition would you start to prepare in your heart if you knew he was going to return? This isn't about like a cakewalk. You go to your child's fair. Wouldn't it be better if we just all donated money so we never had to go to a fair again? <laughs> Some of you parents in the thick of it, you're like, yeah, I'll do 100 bucks. Everyone, pony up right now. You remember the cakewalk? And you're just kind of going, you're walking, you know what I mean? Or, or, or you have to find a seat and sit down and stuff like that. And like you think of it like, oh, Jesus returned. Like, oh, you weren't in the chair. Too bad for you. You weren't living for Jesus. You weren't handing out Bibles to people who can't read. Or you weren't, that wouldn't even make sense, would it? <laughs> While you're doing that, I'm teaching them how to read that Bible. So I one-upped you. I'm not handing out. It's where's your heart at? See, that's the issue. It's not about doing things. It's about, God, my heart in a state of, I want to worship you, I want to honor you, I want to invite that person to church, I want to share Jesus with them, I want to run from this temptation, I want to be done with this sinful act in my life in 2019, I want to move forward and live my life for Jesus Christ. He says, when you and I have that hope in him, it purifies us, even as he is pure. That's what happens to our life. Glorify Jesus at your house. Glorify Jesus at work. Glorify Jesus on your cheer team, if that's your thing. In your school, at your work, and how you love others. When we know we will be like Jesus, we will strive to become more and more like him now on earth. You know, the Christian hope, it brings encouragement. If you're going through a trial right now, the hope of his return, it ought to give you a little bit of endurance to keep pressing on. Because life gets difficult, but you know that this life is not all. We are living for another kingdom. We're foreigners or pilgrims, Peter said in his book. His return, the hope of heaven, the Christian hope that we have, guess what else it does? If you've lost a loved one in the, near, in the last year or so, the Christian hopes, Lord, that's not the last time I'm going to see him. I'm going to see him again. They're with you right now. They knew Jesus Christ. But the Christian hope also inspires you and I to live a holy life. To say, I've got to be done with these old childish ways. I've got to be done with this selfish behavior. I've got to be done with making decisions that only please me and are only about temporary things. I've got to be done about worrying about petty things with my children and give them something bigger to live for. A life of knowing Jesus Christ and making him known. To be serving him right now. To live a life that's pleasing to him right now. Here's what Paul said in Romans 13. This is all the more urgent for you know how late it is. The time is running out. Wake up for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Can I ask you something today? We think about this last idea Christian hope giving you and I the inspiration to be pure, to live right, to remove things in our lives that don't reflect a love for Jesus or honor him. What clothing needs to be removed from your life today? What dirty garments, as Paul describes it, needs to be removed from you so that you have confidence when he appears? This isn't just dealing with sin, by the way, but what you and I are doing for his kingdom what you're doing with your gifts and your talents, <clears throat> how you spend your time, how do you see your money, what's the focus of your life? Does it have an eternal kind of value thrust to it? Or is it just temporary things? Or just this world? This letter certainly was a kind of wake up or certainly this little section of his letter to that church as it is to us. You think about that at moment. Eternity thinking, eternal thinking is healthy for a Christian to be thinking about. He could return. He could return at any moment. 
when I, realize, when I really allow what Paul said to the church, in, uh, to the Colossian church, he said, he said, set your mind on things above. I get a little adjusted. How about you? My mind starts to get in a spot where, you know, all these dumb things that I get mad at, all these stupid things that I'm so stressed out over. I'm not saying everything that you and I stress over is stupid. There are ma- major things in your life. There's major things in my life. But you know, the most of the stuff that kind of gets me riled up is just s- foolish. How about you? You know, most of my energy can be spent on foolish things. We could just sort of blow through life without really getting arrested in the moment and going, God, what am I doing for your kingdom? How am I living? Is it a life that pleases you? If Paul the Apostle said, let's make it our aim to be pleasing to the Lord, that's something that you and I should take to heart. Because I look at Paul as like one of the greatest humans that ever walked the face of the earth. I mean, talk about a genuine love for God and what he was willing to do and sacrifice for the kingdom. You think, man, Paul's living like that? I mean, I'm not going to be one up by Paul. We ought to strive for the same thing. Lord, is my life pleasing to you? This world is passing away, as John told us in chapter 2, verse 17. But he who does the will, or she who does the will of the Father will live forever. Are you slumbering this morning in your walk with God? Are you slowly growing away from a passionate walk with him? Oh, I still got God, and I'm still praying, and I'm still trusting. Man, do some serious self-eval this morning. Because no one... It's going to take that blow for you or me when we all stand before God. I don't want to shrink back in shame, ashamed of the way I've lived. This has nothing to do with him saying like, you know what, son, you're out of here. You don't get to come to heaven. It's not about heaven or hell kind of issue. It's about living a life that honors and glorifies him. And you'll never look back on that life saying, you know what I wish I would have done? I wish I wouldn't have lived for Jesus as much as I did. I don't think you and I would ever look back on that. I think we'll look back and say, man, I wish, in fact, that may be why Jesus wipes tears away in heaven. You ever thought about that? Like, he'll wipe away every tear. Why would you and I be crying? Why would there be any tears in heaven? We got pulled out of Fresno in the San Joaquin Valley. Talk about joy, right, in God's kingdom. But it could be there's tears because of regret. We don't cry forever in heaven, but he does wipe away every tear. Wouldn't it be better to do that reverse engineering now, saying, as I head into the new year, what am I really living for? What am I really trying to build in my business or my company? What am I really trying to do with my family unit? They go, they leave your house like that. What am I really trying to do with my time and my effort, my gifts? Is it stuff that's going to mean something in 100 years? See, that's what John is trying to say here. The good news is, is that there's time to get things right, get priorities lined up. As we worship this morning, you tell God that. You know what's so awesome about God? Is that he is more ready to forgive you and I before you and I get the words out of our mouth. Confession to me is a daily thing because I blow it on a daily basis. In moments like this, God, I got to restructure my life. Tell God that today. And then start making decisions about your life and restructuring how you live your life. That's what's so wonderful about the kingdom of God is that there's mercy new every morning. Maybe as we sit here this morning, you think about your own life, you think about, man, I'm not certain if I were to die today, I'm not ready for Jesus to return. If you're trusting in religion, if you're trusting that you're doing enough good things to try to cancel out your sin, you are mistaken. There's no amount of religious effort that could ever earn God's righteousness or his kingdom. How does a person become a Christian? How does a person have salvation? By believing in his son, Jesus Christ, and accepting him. And he says he gives them the right to become the children of God. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, he said, but God made him who never sinned to become sin for us. Means when he died on the cross, he took the punishment, your sin and my sin and all the sins of this world ever deserved. And he willingly absorbed that wrath so that you and I could have his goodness and righteousness, so that you and I could actually be saved and have forgiveness. The Bible says that God so loved you that he gave his only son. And I'm convinced that if you were the only one who needed salvation, Jesus still would have come to this planet 
and he would have paid for your sins so that you could know him and have a relationship with him this morning.